welcome to A View in Focus, the show where we talk with entrepreneurs from technology startups and high growth companies. We'll get to hear their stories about entrepreneurship, leadership, strategy, management, and fundraising. I'm your host, Dino De Palma, Managing Partner at True North Advisory, where we work alongside entrepreneurs, industry leaders, and PE firms as their strategic advisors. In today's episode, we have our guest, Katie Merrill, co-founder and CEO at BeatLink. Welcome, uh, Katie. Thanks for spending the time with us today. Thanks, Dino. Great to be here. Thanks for the invite. Excited. You know, last time uh, we were just talking about that, uh, we were at a, uh, a show out in uh, in Orlando talking about some of the new uh, trends in uh, technology. But, you know, I always like before we get started um, with these podcasts is to get to know our CEOs and entrepreneurs a, a little better because uh, their story tells a lot and how they ended up uh, where they are today. So maybe let's kick it off with getting to know, you know, Katie a little better. Where'd you grow up? Give us a little bit of a background on who you are. Sure, sure. Um, yeah, so I grew up in a very small town in rural Northwest Iowa, um, oldest of four, uh, was really active in sports uh, as a kid, every sport, <laughs> volleyball, <laughs> basketball, um, track, uh, softball, uh, you name it. Um, enjoyed my 4-H club so you know just kind of like small town things and it's kind of fun being from a small town you know you get to experience all the things all the sports um all the fun and uh yeah so that's kind of my like younger year story um i ended up going to iowa state just like everyone else in my family <laughs> and uh um big you know alumni following in in my family growing up and it was just kind of the thing that we all did uh but throughout college um i had a couple different internships kind of exploring different things um came down to work for disney over the summer once uh i uh, had an internship with toyota um and really took a liking while i was in college to operations so i studied um at iowa state i studied at the time they called the program transportation and logistics now it's been, you know, coined to like supply chain, supply chain management um, in the college of business. So real ops focus um, as I uh, left college. Well, that's great. Um, you know, on the sports side, uh, any sports that you preferred out, out of uh, all the sports you played? I loved volleyball. Um, and if I could have gone on to play in college or further, I would have. I just, unfortunately, I'm... Uh, I'm a, you know, five, six lefty mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and being a, a lefty outside hitter was fun growing up, but you can't really go too much further unless, you know, you're six feet tall. So, um, uh, yeah. I, well, well, we have, uh, being lefties in common. So we're, we're a small okay. little world when it comes to that. Uh, but, um, but you talked about one thing that, that, uh, struck a chord with me. You talked about internships. And, and often, you know, getting going in your, your career is really tough. Uh, tell me more a little bit about how the internship came to play and that how that potentially influenced, uh, you know, your, your career path. Sure. Yeah. So um, when I, let's see, I don't know, I was young in my college years. I, I think just being from a small place, I always wanted to see more and do more. And so I was the student that went to the, you know, job fair and walked around to all the, you know, different, different tables. And I'm looking like, what am I going to do this summer? I don't want to go back to my little hometown. I've been there my whole life. I want to do something cool. And, um, 
and I stumbled across the Disney World booth. <laughs> and I was mm -hmm. like, well, that sounds pretty cool. Um, live in Orlando for a summer. And so that was a real experience. And, and you know, this is decades ago now, but, you know, just really um, facing the public and solving problems. I was in, worked in there like, uh, guest services area at Magic Kingdom, and you deal with everything. And you have to be a problem solver, like on the spot, fix things, solve things, let people melt down on you and, you know, just take it. So there was just a lot of lessons in that kind of role. Um, and I made a lot of great connections. And that kind of, that actually experience at Disney is what got me down to Florida, ultimately. That's where I'm located now uh, in Tampa. But, um, but it was just really being curious and kind of wanting to get out and see what else was out there. I, you know, like I said, I've been in Iowa my whole life. I went to college there. Um, and then the other, my other internship was more focused on what I was studying. So I worked at a Toyota plant in Indiana in, you know, logistics in the logistics department. So, you know, big manufacturing plant, you can imagine all the coordination and effort that goes into that. And I really loved that. Um, I really enjoyed that ops planning side of things. Um, yeah, so both great internships with different purposes, different outcomes uh, that kind of, I think, helped shape where I went next. And, you know, then the, the path just keeps going from there. <laughs> Yeah, well, tell us a little more. I mean, I'd love to understand the path, and 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 we try and do this with our audience is, is give new entrepreneurs a sense of, you know, how they they, they got to be where where you all are today as an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. And you know, what I realized through the podcast is that there are different paths. Some people, you know, start and work full time and then move on to build their own business. Others start their own businesses from the beginning in the early twenties. Mm -hmm. And that's all they look to do. Walk us through your journey a little on how, uh, you know, your early career and then uh, how you ended up uh, being the, the CEO of, of B-Link. I'd love to explore that a little. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So kind of like um, from the, from the experience of like post-college, did the internship, understand ops was cool. Um, when I graduated uh, at that time, I don't know anymore if it is, but um, General Mills would recruit out of Iowa State big time for my program. And uh, and so I got a job with them out of college, lived in Albuquerque, New Mexico for a year, worked at a cereal plant. Um, that organization has a great management training program. I had some great bosses there, I, but I was really on the like corporate, you know, fast track. So giant company, you're going to bounce all around during your, you know, during your career if you stick with a big company like that. And what I, where I found myself was, you know, you get promoted, moved to the Twin Cities, lived in Minneapolis, Ivory Towers, corporate, right? And there's like, I look around and there's like 60 people my age in my role, all fighting for the same one promotion that's mm -hmm. gonna take me to the middle of nowhere, USA, um, at some plant there. And it just hit me like, I just don't see this as my path. Like I, I don't envision myself going after this. Um, so um, kind of at that point, I think I knew like, there's something different for me than following the corporate path. Um, and I bounced around a little bit from there is how I really got down to Florida. So from General Mills, um, I decided, you know what, I don't think this corporate thing is me, but definitely this Minneapolis life is not for me. Um, so used some connections and got myself down to Florida working for Mosaic, a big egg company. Um, and 
yeah, they were kind of a part of Cargill at the time. And I was able to, to get them to relocate me to Florida, which I was really excited about. So I didn't have to pay for my move. Um, mm -hmm. So anyway, I get down here and that's kind of, I think where it hit me, like I was working in, you know, barge logistics. And if you can possibly think of anything more slower, right? Like we're tracking barge and rail car shipments and I was bored. Um, yep. And so I was like, I got to do something different and happen. I was at like a, a local chamber, like networking event. And uh, at the time of the VP of sales for a startup, um, Televations, uh, which was a broad, one of Broadsoft's earlier service provider customers, was like, hey, um, you know, we're hiring salespeople. Um, you know, what are, are would you be interested in? I just a conversation. I don't know how it all like came about. And I was I wasn't even there looking for a job. I was like there with a friend, like at a at <laughs> happy hour at the Chamber of Commerce, right? And so I was like, well, you know, I was I was mid twenties, young, and like everybody always said I should try sales. So I said, I don't know, I'll think about it. Um, anyway ended up taking the job, first sales job. I mean, I look back now and I'm like, I was brave. I mean, I had a mortgage payment at the mm -hmm. time. And I, I was like going off. I took like a huge pay cut and base salary and, you know, was like, I've got to make this up somehow. But I feel like that piece of it really played into like knowing that there's no backup plan, like knowing that like, I've got to make this happen. So I'm going to have to figure out how to sell this cloud UC stuff or I'm not going to be able to pay my bills. And, yep. um, and so just kind of being forced to figure it out. So spent some, I was at televisions for three years and that's really where it was fun. I worked for a startup. I was like employee number seven. Right. And it was awesome because I could make a difference. And the deals that I brought in were, were a big deal for the company. Like we needed, you know, sellers and it was fun to actually have an impact versus what kind of where I came from on the corporate side. You're just kind of checking a box every day, um, showing up, doing your job. And, and it didn't, I didn't have that satisfaction of really feeling fulfilled in my work. So enjoyed that really startup. And also I could bring ideas forward. People listen to me. Like it was just, it was really cool to have that impact. Um, and then, yeah, so I was there about three years and realized that like I was busting it selling these <laughs> businesses like this cloud stuff that i'd never even heard of i have no background in technology of ops basically ops degree and uh and i figured out how to solution sell and find problems and listen and ask a lot of questions and figure out how i could fix their issue with this technology um and so i would run around and selling all this stuff and then the deals you know get installed and it's like hey katie uh we don't know how to use this like who's can you ha have your trainers come out like trainers like there's like <laughs> we don't have any trainers so i found myself in the knock with the engineers asking them a bazillion questions how does this all work explain it to me no i still don't understand i need to explain it to somebody else that doesn't understand and just was like relentless in learning everything myself and then would just run out and, and have to show my customers because I needed to retain them. I needed to get, you know, referrals for my next deal from them. Like they needed to be happy. And so it just kind of grew to the point where I couldn't keep up and um and I was getting burnt out myself and realized like wait a minute, like we're one of Broadsoft's service writer customers. This could be a problem 
maybe we're not the only ones, you know? Yep. And, and so my, my, my research, um, before starting B-Link was very simple. Uh, and at the, I look back like perhaps, I don't know, naive just went for it, but I called up the, our sales rep at Broadsoft uh, Jim Duresta, sure you remember Jim. Oh my God. Oh my God. Do I remember Jim? Oh, yeah. He's like the classic Jim is the classic sales, you know, individual that when you think of a salesperson to me, you think of Jim. Yeah. Yeah. So I called Jim. I'm like, Jim, Hey, look, I I'm thinking about starting this business, but do you have any other customers like us that, that have this problem? And Jim was like, Oh my God, all of them. Like, this is a major issue. Like no, none of my customers, customers know how to use this stuff like they are there's you know a lot of stuff you could do there so that's that was kind of my answer and um in january of 2010 i started up b-link and uh, started up a training business that that's well i think one of the things that you hit on it's uh you know mit is really big on this when they teach their uh dna's innovation dilemmas what's the problem to be solved and so often we look at companies and you know they talk about this holistic plan and they're gonna you know save the planet but what problem are they solving and it sounds that b link that you were you're capable of solving a problem that truly existed um walk us through your thinking you kind of did but maybe elaborate a little more like how did you go from yeah that's a problem and building it into the business of where b link is today yeah, I mean, the the problem being like really just content and services in order to like train these end customers. And really it took a while for me to figure out. I mean, and it's funny too, because one of the things I initially set out thinking I would do, I did we didn't I never really did, which was like enterprise deployments. So working with very large customer, UC customers and helping the service writer get those customers deployed. Like that never really happened <laughs> it was my idea in the mm -hmm. beginning but i pivoted and i what i did was i heard them this was like video was super popular and pretty new you know just the concept yeah. of having a video and um and so a lot of listening i feel like what i really did was brought, would take something to market i run off to Broadsoft connections the first year show off i showed off a little video and it was like wildfire like wow you know can you make us a video on this and that so really i feel like listening from a product standpoint in the beginning was the key was was really the thing that worked and i still continue to do that today i mean if i have an idea i have ideas all the time but if we run it by a customer and there's don't really bite or it's not you know maybe what i thought the value was is not what the value is or there isn't as much value in this idea as i had originally thought it's just listening and pivoting and and trying something different um I don't know if that answered your question. I might have. Yeah, no, 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 it, 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 no, it did. And and you know, one other area I wanted to 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 sort of get your perspective on is you obviously work for large organizations like General Mills and and Disney. Um, how did that impact, or did it at all impact how you uh, manage uh, your teams as CEO of B Lake? Like, are are you able to find sort of nuggets of of expertise that you? are bringing in from how large companies um you know do their work and and then how do you of course innovation is, is much harder at these large organizations how did you balance that uh through yeah. um through building b-link yeah those are good questions i i have said too that i think that my earlier in my career that which was more corporate you learn a lot of 
kind of like standards and they're that are important you know like basic things that that you know as someone young in their career nobody's teaching them so just how to send a really professional email and i mean these are like super basic things but when you work in corporate you learn real quick you know and so there's like i think that piece of it like the professional communication and you know more formal communications formal meetings and things like that but i think where it's fun being in a small business entrepreneurial business is that there's some of those norms you can break and and it's easier to break and it's okay and it makes you more flexible and nimble than being in this real like structured corporate um setting i think there's the ability for a small business like mine to have a better culture because you don't have some of that real stringent those stringent rules and you know corporate policies to follow um there's more flexibility there and you know happier workforce so it's just really i think a balance of both of those elements um you know, yeah, bringing bringing in the in, in, in sort of the obvious, but the best of both worlds, you know, bringing in the process, but being able to maintain uh, the the innovation make makes sense to me. The other area I wanted to to go into is that you know you move from um, an executive position of these larger companies where they were moving you up the ranks. You took a sales role. Um, you definitely have a good general experience. Uh, but then moving on to CEO is is a whole different role. You know, I, I, I've held that role in a couple of companies and, and I know it to be very different once you're on that C-suite. Mm -hmm. um, how did you, uh, what's that change like for you, you know, at the end of the day, now that, you know, you are the CEO of, of B-Link? Walk us through that a little. Yeah, I mean, I think the transition, it for me, it, like there's some people that are just natural leaders, whether or not you manage people or not. So, you know, there's just people that raise their hand and have an idea and they just naturally lead throughout their lives in any, in any team they're on in, whether it's a sports team or a club or, you know, whatever, they're just kind of the natural leaders within the group. And so I think I kind of see myself as like, I've been like that throughout my life. So when it comes to have like the formal crown on, like, you know, yeah, you are the leader of this officially. A lot of that becomes very natural because I've learned my whole life, like how to motivate others that are on my team or, you know, how to like culture a positive environment and people do better in that. Like, those are all just things that I think um, leaders have innately in them and it just becomes more of a formality obviously as a ceo you know there's a lot more risk and there's decisions but when you surround yourself with the team that you've picked and that you know that can kind of keep you all moving in the same direction it makes that um kind of i don't know less formal ceo title mean as much i mean i can get in the trenches with my team like the best you know i love getting on sales calls i love talking to customers and i think Another another thing I think making that transition is knowing or showing my team I have their back. So yep. in any situation, they know like I'm gonna have to know the whole story here, but give me fill me in and I'm gonna have your back. And you know, uh, I think that trust that I build with my team um, allows me to kind of hold that CEO title and get the respect of them and you know. It helps me have more confidence in making those decisions too, because I know they're going to have my back. Um, yep. 
Well, you touched on something that I think is we should double down on it. It's very important. It's a concept of, of team. I think when you look at really successful companies, even the larger ones, whether it be Facebook or Microsoft or Apple, there's obviously the face of the company, which is very often the CEO. But what you often find, if you dig a little deeper, that there's three or four core folks who really made it successful. Um, how do you think of building your team um, and what guidance would you give as the CEO who's building a startup team? What, what, what should that look like? Ooh, yeah. Uh, finding critical thinkers, problem solvers like across the organization. I think um, when you're looking to hire leaders under you or even like the natural leaders that are going to work under formal leaders, like that skill of, of um, you know, people say go-getters or somebody that can roll their sleeves back, like that's one way to describe it. But I think it's it's those that are curious, um, uh, critical thinking problem solvers. So someone, you know, making sure you're you're finding people that if there's a problem, they're coming to you, especially when you're growing in the beginning. Like I, I always said, like, I will help you solve these problems, but please come to me with what you think is your solution first. Like then we can solve it together if that maybe if there's another path to explore. But um, I think just really build surrounding yourself with a bunch of really good problem solvers that are curious um, is a good place to start and kind of planting them within your organization and all your different departments. So you know you have those people that are that are going to be able to solve things on their own, um, come to you when it's necessary. And you really kind of build that trust. Uh, having other strategic thinkers on your team, big time, like somebody that can kind of sit by you and think big picture, think product, um, understand value. And, and these are hard, you know, these are hard seats to fill and it takes a long time. And, you know, I think another challenge that that CEOs have, especially founder CEOs, it's like we we are. <laughs> I mean, I am like so trusting. I am so like generous. I just, I, I don't know. I really, <laughs> with empathy. And so it can be really hard when you have either wrong person, wrong seat, or someone you thought was going to be good here didn't turn out. Like those are really, really hard decisions. And I know uh, I've spoke with just other founders, peers, whatnot, that like those decisions are so hard to make. And because we put so much effort and energy into building our teams and, you know, I know the names of everybody's spouse and I know their family situation. I mean, you have this family that you take care of and you are trying to also take care of their families. Like it's a lot of pressure and, you know, you want to make sure that, you know, that your family that you're building, um, you know, you, you have that trust and can kind of grow together, but it's, it's hard. It's it, it's tough. I will tell you, my early days at Acme, we would struggle because, you know, as a core group had built the company. And as we grew, some of our team members, um, you know, this journey was no longer for them. Um, and that was really challenging to to make those uh, decisions. And, and we struggled. And, and I would tell you, my learning was, I think at times we when we knew we just waited too long and it was unfair to everyone involved. Uh, what's your guidance around that? Like, yeah. and I know it's tough, but, and we all struggle because I think we're good folks, but walk me through that a little, like, how do you think through that when it's just, we all know it's time. Yeah. 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 It's hard. And um, one thing I, I think because it is 
natural to wait and wait and wait and don't make those decisions or shift to a different role like okay different position maybe this is a better fit like those things are so easy they're they're kind of bandages um and i think just identifying or being aware when you're making those moves that this is what i'm doing i'm doing this but it's i shouldn't be and really having those conversations i think i'm a huge Brene brown fan right so like the dare to lead book and there's like this whole like feedback workshop and i think as leaders it taking the time to learn how to provide that feedback, you know, um, uh, you know, clear is kind is one of the kind of taglines in some of her writing. It's like just being upfront and providing that feedback as it happens. I think at that point, then you, it makes it easier because you may arrive at the same, um, you know, decision as your employee at the same time, if you've been providing that feedback all along where then it maybe isn't so hard because it feels, um, it's it's clear on both sides that maybe this isn't working. Um, so, but I think that feedback, being able to give that feedback along the way, and not just like throwing it under the rug or ignoring it or shifting, moving things around to avoid, which is so easy and natural for many to do, um, is is hard but necessary. Yeah, no, I agree. In fact, actually, my wife Annalisa is 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 uh, a big fan of Brene Brown, and and uh, I get the. Uh, summarized version on a, on a weekly basis and there's a lot of good learning um, and i also had a, a mentor uh gary bowen throughout my career who uh, would say exactly what you said he would say there should be no surprises uh as much as you can people should kind of know that you're going through this journey um, and he would say that when you wait too long although you're trying to save that one individual you're potentially putting the rest of the organization at risk and you really need to to think about that and 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 that that stuck with me, but it, but it sounds like you're obviously very compassionate, and and it's not something you um, you take lightly, you know. And from that perspective, how do you create that positive culture where you're listening and people are listening to you, and people feel that they can um, participate in 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 that open culture? How, how did you build that out? Yeah, that to me has probably been one of the like most satisfying and fun aspects of my job in growing the business is having that impact on our culture. So I think it started from the, just in the beginning and just, you know, I, so I started my company before I was married, like within the first, <laughs> within the first, um, three years of starting B-Link, I met my husband, got married, had a baby, uh, bought a house. Wow. I mean, like, this is all in the early these are like the 2 a.m nights like working you know getting everything going i was the, you know talking to customers all the time it was insane um but i was uh uh named mama b link for 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 a long time because i was very like nurturing and supportive and i took my you know team as my family at the time and i really really cared about them so um uh yeah so i think that's like that's just like kind of the basis of how the culture started and then as we evolved like um covid was rough i mean there's no there's no class you can take in any any program anywhere that tells you how to lead a company through a global pandemic um where literally like one day you have you know 20 something people coming into the office and just like that you're all working from home and how to keep things moving. Um, so during that time, I learned that providing that like um, 
certainty during uncertain times was like the most impactful thing that I could do. So even though I didn't have all the answers and I didn't, nobody knew like what was going to happen with all of this, just communicating open, often showing that I'm caring, everybody's going through something. People had sick family members, you know, there was a lot of stress and worry and just trying to help kind of calm people down. Um, so, or not calm people down, but just let them know that, Hey, work is a place that you can feel happy. And you can, you know, if you've got a lot of things on your plate personally that you're worried about, I don't want you to have that worry at work. So creating that sense of like certainty, um, we used um, using WebEx, uh, the WebEx app, we created a couple different spaces. So we have a positive vibe space that we still run to this day. Um, and it's a space, all employees are in it. And it's just for happy things, you know, like sharing, uh, you know, a funny GIF or, um, you know, we do, I mean, we do all kinds of stuff in there. It's just a lighthearted, positive place. And then we started another space, um, a B-Link shout out space. So that's just for like, it's like high fives, you know, like reporting yeah. like, hey, so-and-so got a great survey back on their training, or, you know, I just had a call with a customer and they love this and that video or whatnot. So it's just like a way of just really encouraging that like positive positivity throughout the organization, even though we're all remote and can't, you know, see each other in person and in that way. Um, so yeah, those are just, like, I guess, a few of the few of the intentional things that I've done. Well, no, but it, it, I mean, it, it's very obvious that, you know, leadership uh, and, and culture will, will greatly be determined by the leaders in, in the organization and something uh, we, we, we need to think through. I mean, there are so many other topics I'd actually like to cover that I even had questions that I, I jotted down about fundraising about women in tech i mean there's like about a hundred other things we could uh <laughs> we, we could tackle i uh <laughs> a half an hour definitely uh uh goes by really quickly but um you know i want to thank you for joining us today there's certainly some some key learning for for our listeners you know one is listen to your customers uh, what's the problem to be to be solved that um you found with uh with b-link um the importance of of networking you wouldn't have gotten your first opportunity if you've got to be out there uh and you have to be passionate you have to have passion and you have to be brave and you have to be willing to take risks something that uh you've done throughout your career so so thank you for sharing that with us uh we're excited uh that you were here stay tuned for our next episode we'll be posting our episodes every other week uh and please follow us on linkedin so thank you so much for your time katie Thanks a lot, Dino. Have a great day.